You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the U.S. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you are listening to another episode of your favorite international podcast. Welcome! If this is your first time listening, we are two online friends who haven't met in real life yet, and every week we meet to talk about murder, mystery, and the macabre. Yes, and welcome back if you're a regular listener. Thank you so much for your ongoing support, your lovely reviews, your extremely kind messages and emails. We really thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing our content with your friends and recommending the podcast to other people you know are into the macabre. You just, you have no idea how much it really does help us grow. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So we just had our first heat wave of this summer. I'm so thankful that we have a well, you know, for watering my fruits and vegetables and flowers and all the other plants. Mm. I have to say, I do love summer. I do love the heat. I could never survive in Alaska, but put me in a hot region, no matter if it's dry heat or humid heat, and I feel absolutely comfortable. Annie, I know you're not a fan of heat, Other than air conditioning, what are some of your coping mechanisms? <laughs> yeah, I used to like the heat. Uh, now we think I might be turning into a vampire. Direct sunlight makes me feel very unwell. And if I get too hot, <laughs> my coping mechanism is I just pass out. I just literally go unconscious. And then other people have to deal with my sweaty, unconscious dead weight. That's pretty much my coping mechanism. I'm like a possum. So you're a goat. Yeah, my, I'm like a possum. Every time things get a little bit too heavy, my body's just like, nope, let's play dead. And I'm out. It's like, <laughs> see you later. It's so fun for everyone, really. You never know when it might happen. I'm like an old computer, just constantly overheating and crashing. It's good times. We have a really serious heat wave at the moment. Our high today is going to be 97 degrees Fahrenheit or 36 Celsius. Mm, we're going to top that tomorrow. We're going to have 37. Oof. Opus is at daycare. He can play inside in the air conditioning. It's like a meat locker at our house. Uh, I think I've reached out to everyone we know who might not have AC and they're, they're all set. But no, they can come here if they need somewhere cool. So, yeah. I have to say, sometimes it does get too much, even for me, especially when I was still living in the city. Mm. You know, the heat was often unbearable. You city folks know what I'm talking about. You know, the concrete everywhere, everything heats up, keeps radiating the heat 24 hours a day. Uh, of course, I used to fan cool showers, closing the curtains during the day, and so on and so on. And of course, the usual activities, you know, like renting a boat on the Alte Donau, going for a swim. I love to do yeah. that. Yeah, you can also so put much. ice in your hot water bottles and put them in your bed before you get in to cool it down. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. True, yeah. Now you might think, excuse me, why the hell are you talking about these kind of things? I don't know. I feel like heat is a very reasonable topic for hell. <laughs> I have such a smooth transition right now. Okay. Here we go. One thing I like to do when the city heat was too much, I like to go and visit the Stephansdom, the St. Stephen's Cathedral, right in the center of Vienna. More precisely, I liked to tour the catacombs beneath the cathedral. It's not only lovely, cool and dark, it's actually also very interesting and kind of macabre. 
While I was lying in the shade of my ash tree and thinking of the people suffering in the city, I remembered those tours in the cathedral, and so I decided to tell you all about that building. Maybe not all about that building, because we could make a whole podcast about it, to be honest, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know, the things I find most interesting about it. Yeah, I love these stories. I'm looking forward to this. So mostly I want to talk about the little macabre facts and legends that surround the cathedral, but I also want to give you at least a tiny bit of background info. Not too much. We are not a history podcast, but just the basics. I think I mentioned it before that many European cities evolved from Roman settlements, and Vienna is one of them. The name comes from the Roman settlement Vindobona. At least that's what we learned back when I was in school. I now read that there is some dispute among historians, if that's even true, because some think that the name of Vienna or Wien comes from a Celtic word, uh, Vedunia, which means forest stream. Mm. And it would make sense that the city's name comes from a Celtic word, as the first known settlement in the Viennese area was a Celtic one, and that was around 500 before Christ, the Romans came way later, 15 BC, and they did build a military garrison, a fortified city, so to say, as the protection from the Germanic tribes up north. And the city grew and grew while the Roman Empire shrank and shrank and ultimately ceased to exist. In 1145, Duke Heinrich II, Jasomir Gott, turned Vienna into the capital of the Babenberg Empire, and I talked about it very, very briefly in our two-parter about the Habsburger tragedies. The Babenberger were the first noble family to rule Austria before the Habsburger took over, and over time, two Romanesque churches were built in the place where now the St. Stephen's Cathedral stands. And from that time on, it's a whole lot of tearing down, enlarging, redesigning, and adding to the church structure. Houses that are blocking the insane construction site are bought so that they can be torn down, towers are added. Austria is now already ruled by the Habsburger, by the way, and they are still building this cathedral. <laughs> the name, the Stephansdom, the St. Stephen's Cathedral, comes from St. Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Uh, he was stoned to death. Ah, yes. So all in all, the construction started in the first half of the 12th century with the first Romanesque church and lasted roughly until 1511, so 200 years. And the cathedral shows Romanesque, Gothic, Renaissance and Baroque elements, granted Baroque only in the inside. Mm. Here are some hard facts about the cathedral. The height is 136 meters, so that's 446 feet. Length, 107 meters, 351 feet. And it's 40 meters wide, 130 feet. The building has four towers, well, almost four towers. The tallest one with 136 meters is the South Tower. Its construction lasted 65 years from 1368 to 1433. And this tower served as the main observation and command post for the defense of the walled city. And it contains an apartment for the watchman who, until Get that, 1955 manned the tower at night and rang the bell if a fire was spotted in the city. Wow. I don't know, I kind of wish this would still be a thing, a night watchman, right? Yeah. Würde Leute, lasst euch sagen, unsere Uhr hat vier geschlagen. I think that was a night watchman song we learned in school. Oh, see, that's nice. And it sounds more interesting <laughs> than the poem about watchmen we have to memorize in school here, which is the whole one if by land, two if by sea, I on the opposite shore will be. It's just all Paul Revere round here all the time. Yeah, watchmen, it's cool. Please continue. So back to the towers. 
because we also have the North Tower. This one was supposed to mirror the South Tower, but when they were working on that one, people were not so much into gothic designs anymore, and they were like, ugh, this is too much work, and it looks so dated already. We don't want to do this anymore. So in 1511, they just stopped building this tower, you know? And that was not satisfying either, so in 1578, they at least gave the unfinished, stumpy North Tower a Renaissance-style roof. It's... It's something. It's something. <laughs> the Viennese nicknamed the North Tower the Water Tower. <laughs> then we have the two Heidentürme or Roman Towers, although the verbatim translation would be the Heathen Towers uh, or Pagan Towers. They were mostly constructed from material that was still around from the Roman settlement. They flank the main entrance and they have a height of 65 meters or 213 feet. Speaking of the main entrance, the door is named Riesentor or Giant's Door, not only because it's a big-ass door, <laughs> but possibly because they did find a thigh bone of a mammoth while they were digging the foundation of the North Tower, and they thought that would look so cool to hang that over the main entrance. It's hard to say if that's really true, but it's cool, and I hope it's true, and that's why I'm telling you. This just keeps getting better and better, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I love mammoths, and I love huge doors, especially church doors. <laughs> My family laughs at me. I could do an entire album of just doors at churches and cathedrals, pictures I've taken. When you come visit at Fort Hill, when you go to Fort Hill in East Ham on the Cape, on your way to Provincetown, there's this beautiful old, it's an old fisherman's house. I'll have to send you a photograph of it. And at the gate, like the where the gate is, it's a whale's jawbone. It's an old whaling captain house, and it's got a whale's jawbone. It's pretty cool. It's cool. Yeah. I want to see it's it. It's like the arbor is a whale's jawbone. So for me, one of the most beautiful things about the Stephansdom is its roof. It looks kind of unreal. You have to see it. So wienvienna.com describes the roof as follows. Quote, Together with its 137 meters high south tower, the colored roof of St. Stephen's Cathedral is one of the symbols of Vienna. It is considerable tall too, reaches 38 meters or 125 feet above the ground, and very steep. Thanks to its steepness, the roof is rarely covered by snow and is very clean compared to the roofs of other cathedrals, as rain can wash it easily. It is 111 meters, so 361 feet long, but it's not its size what makes the cathedral's roof so popular. The roof of the Viennese cathedral is not as boring as roofs of some other churches. That's still the quote, that's not me. <laughs> it is an artwork by itself. The roof is made of 230 thousand glazed tiles of different colors which form various mosaics and patterns. On the south side of the roof above the choir, the mosaics represent the double-headed eagle, symbol of the Austrian Empire under the rule of the Habsburger. On the north side, there are another two eagles, this time each with only one head. These eagles carry the coats of arms of the city of Vienna and of the Republic of Austria, respectively." End quote. Yeah, I used to do mosaics as a hobby, and I do know the roof of this building. It's amazing, and I can't wait to see yeah. it in person. This is on my list, Parkwell in Barcelona. I've seen photos, but I know it's going to be amazing in person. The colors are amazing, while the, the cathedral itself, the wall, the stone, it was completely black, and then they started to... Because back then... Like, until the 1960s, I think it was still allowed to drive cars directly in the inner city. Sure. Around the Stephansdom. Well, in coal fires, probably, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. now they started cleaning, and it's actually white. The church is, like, white stone. It looks great. Not, not entirely white, more, like, very 
Harry Lightstone. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. We really have to start putting together our list of what we're actually going to do when we visit. Yeah. <laughs> On our first of many visits. So what else is interesting about the cathedral? Uh, the bells. I told you in yet another episode, I think it was the episode about the murder of Dagmar Führich. There is a bell in the cathedral that is only rung once a year. I said uh, for New Year's, right before we danced the Danube Waltz, this bell is called the Bumarin, and it's the biggest of the bells located in the Stumpy North Tower, <laughs> and officially named for St. Mary. I actually think now that there are more occasions when the Bumarin is rung, the Christian festivities, you know, like Christmas and Easter, for example, but it's really just a handful of occasions. So this bell is really heavy at 20,130 kilograms, so that's 44,380 pounds. It's the largest in Austria and the second largest swinging bell in Europe. The, the, the largest, the heaviest one is the one in Cologne. It has 23,500 kilograms or 51,800 pounds. The Pumarin was cast from cannons that had belonged to the Ottoman invaders when Vienna was under siege twice. Wow. There is a neat legend. It's it's definitely more a legend, but I think it's also pretty cool. It says that Ludwig van Beethoven, who lived in Vienna from 1792 until his death in 1827, only realized how bad his hearing had become when he passed the Stephansdom. Because when he looked up to the bell towers of the cathedral, he saw the birds flying off, clearly disturbed by the bells being rung. But the composer couldn't hear the bells at all. Oh, wow. St. Stephen's Cathedral was almost undisturbed during World War II. Only near the end uh, of the war, it was hit by a bomb, but the damage was rather minor. When Vienna had surrendered and a white flag was hoisted, the city commander Sepp Dietrich gave the order to, quote, fire a hundred shells and reduce the Stephansdom to rubble, end quote. But the officer, Captain Gerhard Klinkich, disobeyed his orders and the church was saved once more. Unfortunately, though, the building still was severely damaged. That was by a fire. The fire broke out on 12th of April 1945. At first, there were rumors that German troops had started the fire. Then the Russian army was blamed. But it looks as if looters had set fire to one of the buildings close to the cathedral and, you know, the wind had just simply spread it. Mm. The roof of the cathedral partially collapsed and the Pumarin crashed down and burst. And it was actually recast in 1951. Wow. Inside the Stephansdom, you can find 18 altars, a beautiful gothic pulpit with the famous Fenstergucker, which would translate to window gawker, I guess. Okay. It's a stone self-portrait and it can be found beneath the stairs of the pulpit. The unknown man, or I mean, some people think they know who he is, but it's, it's not 100% certain. And he's holding a chisel in his hand and you can see the stonemason's signature mark on the shield above the window. So... Most believe that this could be the self-portrait of the pulpit sculptor. Inside the cathedral, you can also find tombs of Prince Eugen of Savoy, the commander of the imperial forces during the war of the Spanish succession, and of Friedrich III, the Holy Roman Emperor. So as I say, these are the mere basics about the design and construction of this famous Viennese landmark. We could do a whole podcast about it. Now let's get into the more mysterious and macabre side of the cathedral, shall we? Yes. Just when I thought I couldn't enjoy this information more, we've got more spookiness. I just, I love this. So interesting. So let's start with the catacombs, because that's what made me actually want to talk about the church in the first place. There's a system of crypts and catacombs under the cathedral. Actually, only parts of it are directly under the cathedral. 
First of all, you find the resting place of the Viennese bishops and other high-ranking Viennese clergy. Then there is the so-called Ducal Crypt. It's the oldest of the three burial places for Austria's rulers and other highest-ranking nobility in Vienna. The first one to be buried there was Duke Rudolf IV. He rests in the Ducal Crypt since 1365. In the two-parter about the Habsburg tragedies, I already told you that later most Habsburger rulers and their families have been laid to rest in the Kapuzinergruft, so the imperial crypt, but I also told you that it was customary that their hearts would rest in the so-called Herzalgruft in the Augustiner church, and the other internal organs would be placed in the Stephansdom, in the ducal crypt, while the body was laid to rest in the imperial crypt. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to pay a funeral home to arrange that today? <laughs> would they even be allowed? It would I be wonder. a nightmare. <laughs> Sometimes people think it's odd that I've scattered some of my loved one's ashes in different places around the world that were meaningful to them, but I'm going to remind them of this story the next time that happens. Like, <laughs> people have done far worse to separate bodies. I think it's lovely to scatter the ashes, at least a little, little it bit just of the a, Yeah, just a little bit. It's not, you know. So, now on to the catacombs. They lie under the square around the north and east side of the building. When you take the tour, you will be able to see bones and skulls. Piles of bones and skulls. Because the catacombs are filled with the remains of over 10,000 people. Some of these bones are literally the remains of the victims of the Black Death, the bubonic plague. Because when they constructed the cathedral, they did have to discontinue the cemeteries that surrounded the first church, and so they did place all the remains in the catacombs underground. And the catacombs continued to be used until 1783, when under Joseph II, burials within the city were outlawed, and whenever the place was full, prisoners were sent down to stack the bones neatly and thus make more room for more bones. Mm. Speaking of Emperor Joseph II, so he was the oldest son of Empress Maria Theresia, he was the brother of Marie Antoinette, and after his mother's death, he became the Emperor of Austria. If you watched Amadeus, you know who I'm talking about. He was the one playing piano in yes. the beginning. He was the one who fell asleep during the Entführung aus dem Serai opera. I need to rewatch Amadeus. I don't think I've seen it since high school. I love it so much. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, I'm doing a rewatch. He was known as a reformer. He mostly abolished the death penalty. I told you already, it was always a yes-no-death-penalty situation in Austria. Uh, he was against too much censorship in present literature. He tried, tried, really tried, to modernize the Catholic Church. And he had a big modern hospital built in Vienna to centralize medical care. He considered himself to be a very modern and rational man. And he came up with the so-called Josephinische Sag, or Sparsag. I don't know how to translate it. Uh, maybe economical coffin or frugal coffin, something like this. Sometimes it's also called Pestzag, so plague coffin. Well, that's less appealing. I mean, <laughs> economical coffin, that's fine. Frugal coffin, there's nothing yeah. wrong with frugality. <laughs> plague coffin, that's where you've lost my business. Sorry. <laughs> He wanted to be resourceful. He didn't like things to go to waste. So this thing was a coffin, normal looking coffin. And you would place the body of the deceased in a bag and then into the coffin. Mm -hmm. And the coffin had kind of a door at the bottom. And then the coffin would be placed over the open grave. And you could pull a lever and the door would open and the body would 
fall straight into the grave. Mm. This way, the coffin could be reused many, many, many times, but the public was not very happy about <laughs> this contraption, and so after only a few months, the Sparsag was abolished again. Yeah, I think, well, it's it would be the thud, wouldn't it, really? <laughs> it would be, yeah. you want to make sure that that the family has left, and then you drop the body into the hole. I think the dropping is the... Is the I think I mean, that was the problem, mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want my loved ones to be dropped into the grave. I don't even care if they are dropped into the grave. I just don't want to hear the thud. Like they're not they're yeah, not but they're not feeling any pain. I mean they wouldn't care, but I no. would I don't want That's the what body I mean. of my loved ones to be treated that way. It's disrespectful. Well, I don't even know if it's disrespectful. well, because it's they're it's just a I guess I look at <laughs> I look at dead bodies and as how I think of myself as a dead body is just like it's of no use to anybody. It's just the suit you had when you were here. Yeah, but you wouldn't mind if they would drop Paul or your dad, just throw him into a grave, <laughs> like not you know carefully putting him down, but just well, bleh, throw him in. I think I, I think I, I just like don't want to hear the thud. I think that's just the main. I don't know. I don't. If it was an all-natural burial, you know what I mean, kind of situation, I'd, yeah. Yeah, but oh, even an all-natural burial can be done with respect oh, and treating absolutely. the body nicely. It was still a body, you know. That's very true. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think I think they made a lot of mistakes with the uh, marketing of that coffin. Is all I'm saying. I think it, <laughs> yeah. I think it I think it could have gone well had they made some different choices. <laughs> yeah, the idea wasn't that bad. No, <laughs> no. Okay. But back to the cathedral. Now, with so many bodies resting in and under the Stephansdom, and I don't even want to know how many people died during construction. I mean, 200 years of construction. Yeah, a lot of there people. There must have been many people falling off, being hit, and these kind of things. Oh, yeah, dying of an infection from a splinter. You might wonder if there are any hauntings in the church. Are there any ghosts? Tell me. Well, yes, indeed, there are resident souls. I mentioned the Duke Rudolf IV before, the first Habsburger to be laid to rest in the cathedral in 1365. Well, he's said to still linger around, and he seems to be especially interested in the women visiting the church. They say he appears as a tall, dark shadow, often near the high altar, but also in the ducal crypt, but he only appears to women. It does make me wonder, though, how would one know that this is Duke Rudolf IV, if all you see is a tall, dark shadow, right? Yes, it's like our Tudor Afterlives episode. How would you know that lady in Tudor clothing is so-and-so? I mean... Yeah. So Rudolf IV apparently was very interested in a secret alphabet, the so-called Alphabetum Caldeorum, or Alphabet of the Chaldeans. It's one of the best-known ciphers of the Middle Ages, and its names refers to... The Chaldea, whose inhabitants during the medieval era were reputed to have mysterious and magical knowledge. And I took all this from Wikipedia because I never heard of it before. Rudolf apparently believed the origin of the secret alphabet was in India, which is actually not true. But he was, he used it for, you know, writing letters to his other nobleman with secret information that, you know, if the enemy would catch the messenger, they shouldn't know and things like this. So it mm. was, yeah. There's their secret language. The Duke's sarcophagus is engraved with his name and titles in this alphabet, but that's not the only place he had the letters used in the cathedral. If you walk in the room that is nowadays used as the gift shop, 
and you stand there and you look up. You can see some words in these mysterious letters on the wall. Duke Rudolf IV had them placed there. If you want to know what it says, you have to come over here and visit the Stephansdom yourself and take a look yourself and maybe ask the tour guide. <laughs> okay, I will. And you know I love a gift shop. This is very exciting. Oh, talking about secret engravings or secret letters. That reminds me there is another secret engraving on the cathedral, but on the outside. So if you stand in front of the main entrance and you look to the right side, you can see O5 scratched into the stone. And O5 stands for Österreich, so German word for Austria. 5 meaning the fifth letter of the alphabet, so E, and OE being the alternative spelling of Ö, so Österreich. Oh. O5 was the mark of the Austrian resistance group surrounding the Styrian student Jörg Untereiner. The O5 you can see nowadays behind glass is not the original. There are two stories. So one says that the O5 was painted on the wall with white paint. And another one says that it was very lightly scratched into the stone. Whatever the truth is, at one point in the 1960s, the mark was engraved into the building to remind us of the brave people in the resistance. So... Wow. And it's behind glass and it's protected and you can still see it. Yep. Nice. So you see the Stephansdom does play a very central role in the history of Vienna and Viennese people love their Steffel, their Stephansdom. And there are so many legends that evolved around the famous building. And I would love for Annie to read to you some of my favorite legends. But before that, we need to take a quick break for a word by our sponsor, Best Fiends. Looks like this summer is going to be back to normal. We are not only planning our first vacation in quite a while, we are also finally able to see our loved ones again. Annie just spent some time with her family in Florida, and I'm planning to have our friends over for a barbecue in our new garden. While I'm waiting for my guests to arrive, I will relax with a few rounds of my favorite 5-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the perfect companion for your summer vacation. No matter if you're waiting for your next flight or if you're enjoying an afternoon at the beach, Best Fiends is right there with you. I'm constantly training my favorite characters to try to defeat the slugs because hey, if I can't beat them in my garden, I can at least beat them virtually with Best Fiends. With over 5,000 levels, the fun never stops and new interesting levels and challenges are added regularly. Every time you play, there's always something new to experience. Download Best Fiends on the Apple App Store or Google Play play for free today. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. So I did send any English versions of the legends. They are retold by Ingrid Prohaska on viennalegends.blogspot.com. It was very hard to find English transcripts of these legends, but here they are. Please visit viennalegends.blogspot.com for more readings about Vienna. So the first legend gives us a more mystical reason for the unfinished North Tower. All right, and we will have links to these, and if I make any minor changes, it'll just be for brevity or clarity. Here we go. Quote, Once upon a time, there lived a young man in Vienna. His name was Hans Puxbaum. He was a very talented architect. He was very ambitious, but not yet famous. Hans was in love with a beautiful young woman. Her name was Mary, and she was the daughter of an honored and rich citizen. At that time, St. Stephen's was still under construction. The nave and the south tower were already completed. Only the north tower, which should mirror the one on the south side, was not yet built. The city council had a contest to transfer the work to the ablest architect who would complete the tower in the shortest time and at the cheapest cost. 
So it came that Hans Puxbaum applied for the job to build that tower. He thought when he could get fame and honor, he could acquire the hand of his beloved Mary. Hans promised to build the tower within half the time of his competitors, and so he got the job. In the beginning, everything worked well, but soon some troubles appeared. The materials were delivered too late, the calculations of the construction were not exact enough, and too many days the builders had to stop their work because of bad weather. Hans Puxbaum recognized that he couldn't finish the tower in the time he had promised. One evening, he stood lost in his thoughts in front of the church and looked up to the unfinished tower. Suddenly, a strange-looking man in a green suit stood by his side. "'Oh, what a pity,' the little man said. "'Things don't look good for you, eh?' Hans Puxbaum told him about his sorrow. "'Ah, don't worry, I can help you. And with my help, you can still complete the tower in time. There's just one little thing I ask you to do.' What is it? Hans Puxbaum sounded very interested. You are not allowed to mention the name of God, Mother Mary's name, or any other name of a saint. This is all I want. Ha! Of course, that's a deal, Hans said, although he had noticed that he had just made a pact with the devil. <laughs> so, that's so casual. I know. I mean, it happens. What are you going to do? <laughs> Since that day, the North Tower grew faster than ever before. Hans Puxbaum was happy. He saw his goal near. He could finish the tower in time and finally marry his beloved bride. One beautiful day, he stood high above on the scaffolding. He looked down on the square and watched the people moving. He smiled. Just a few more days. In that moment, he discovered his future bride in the crowd. Full of joy, he called her name. Mary. Suddenly. A hollow, mocking laughter echoed through Vienna, and the scaffolding started to sway, and with an audible noisiness, the whole construction broke down and drew Hans Puxbaum into the depths. For a few moments, a gigantic green figure with a grinning face was seen. Then the people dared to remove the debris, but the dead body of Hans Puxbaum couldn't be found, and he remained disappeared. The plan to build the North Tower of St. Stephen's was given up that day and was never taken up again. End quote. Well, that is a... That is a... Word of warning. Not to make deals with the devil. Not not on cathedral towers and not on crossroads. No. Be warned. No. Listen to the Charlie Daniels band. <laughs> yeah. So... On the top of the cathedral you can see a metal weather vane in the shape of a cock... And I mean the male chicken, because I know some of you were giggling right now. <laughs> so actually, you can see these cocks on many churches, as it was said that because the cocks crow announces the end of the night and the nearing morning, that this means that the devil and all of his minions had no more power over the faithful citizens of Vienna. Because, you know, the devil can only do evil during the night, apparently. Yeah, he's nocturnal, like a hamster. <laughs> and the whole aspect of Peter betraying Jesus thrice before the cock crows. Yes. That's awesome. just there yes. to remind us that we're all weak sinners, right? At least in part. It's like, behold the chicken and remember, you're not worthy. But there is, of course, a legend on why there is a cock on top of the Stephansdom, and it's much spookier. It's what we're here for. Quote, At the end of the 15th century, a brave and smart knight lived in Vienna. His name was Caspar von Schletzer, and he had a confidential position at the court of Emperor Maximilian I. 
Casper was married to a very beautiful and warm-hearted woman. The couple was well known for their extraordinary happiness. One day, Emperor Maximilian I told his loyal knight to travel to Constantinople to bring the Sultan an important message. Casper was worried that he was just chosen to make the dangerous travel so that someone else could get his wife. Casper's wife was afraid that she might lose her beloved husband on that long and dangerous trip. But however, he had to go. The day came when they had to say goodbye to each other. The wife placed a silver crucifix around Casper's neck. The consecrated cross should protect her beloved husband from need and danger. After a long journey, Casper arrived at the Sultan's residence and handed over the important dispatch. The brave knight was already on his way back home when he was attacked by bandits. He was captured and sold as a slave. Many years of hard work followed for the nobleman. Only the silver crucifix, which he could hide from the robbers, gave him hope that he would regain his freedom one day. Year after year went by. At home, the wife mourned for her lost husband. After five years, she gave in the pressure of society, gave up her hope of the reunion, and decided to become engaged to her husband's friend. When they began to prepare the wedding, Casper had a very strange dream. He saw his wife standing at the altar of St. Stephen's, where she just got married to his friend, Knight von Merkenstein. At the end of his nightmare, a soft voice whispered, There is still time to prevent this marriage. Bathed in sweat, Casper awoke. In his despair, he cried out, I must be in Vienna tomorrow. I would give my soul to the devil if this were the only way to make this possible. And wouldn't you know it, in that moment, the devil of himself stood in front of him, and he had a cock with him. And he said, quote, This fowl will take us to Vienna, but I want your soul for that. But the desperate man agreed, under the condition that he wouldn't awake during the entire flight. Otherwise, Satan shouldn't get power over his soul. The devil nodded with a satanic grin. Both the devil and the knight sat on the back of the cock. Secretly, the nobleman touched the silver crucifix on his chest and gave his life into God's hands, and then he fell asleep. The cock took off and raced with its heavy load to the west. As morning dawned, St. Stephen's was already in sight. Full of joy, the cock followed its nature and let out a loud doodle-doo. But the crowing of the cock wakened Casper. So, the devil had lost Casper's soul. Loudly cursing, the bogey threw the knight and the cock into the Danube. Then the bad guy went furiously down to hell. Fishermen pulled the two out of the river, and so Caspar von Schletzer could arrive at St. Stephen's in time. Happily, he hugged his wife. In gratitude to the cock which freed him from slavery and brought him back to Vienna in time, Caspar von Schletzer had an iron cock made for the roof of St. Stephen's Cathedral. The cock is still there. Not only as a reminder of the devil ride in medieval times, it also serves as protection from the devil, who can carry out his own misdeeds only until the cocks crow at dawn. End quote. That is definitely, infinitely spookier than a thrice denial. That one is spooky. Is it spookier? Is it really spookier? Riding I, on a cock with a heavy load? I, <laughs> it just it just depends where you're going. <laughs> oh boy. Alright. The next one explains another haunting at the tower of the church. I love these. These are so I'm really enjoying this. Okay. Quote The ninth pin or the skittle player of Saint Stephen's Tower. Oh, yes. Spooky bowling. All right. In ancient times, Vienna had a tower guard. He was located at the highest point of the town. This was, at that time, St. Stephen's Cathedral. 
He lived in a small apartment in the Tower of St. Stephen's and watched over the houses of the town. His duty was to alert the citizens when a fire broke out. But in quiet times, when nothing happened, it was quite a boring job. So it came that the Viennese built a skittle alley for the amusement of the tower guard in a small room beside the guard's parlor. It was a small and low-ceilinged room, and so the skittle alley was short. Therefore, the players stood with their backs to the alley, bowed their head, and had to roll the bowling ball between their legs. But this didn't matter. The young fellows from the neighborhood loved to play with the tower guard on this extraordinary bowling alley. Once there was a tower guard called Franz. He was a dissolute fellow. He loved to drink and his passion was the nine-pin bowling. He was a master of this game, no matter where or when he was playing. He always hit all nine pins with one single throw. He won every time. But soon, no one wanted to play with Franz anymore. One evening in fall, Franz played the Skittles again alone until midnight. Suddenly, he heard a hollow voice out of the dark. Still playing at such a time? A tall, thin man with a gray cloak the hood lowly pulled over his face, occurred in the light of the candles. Cold shivers ran over Franz's back, but soon he was fearless again and answered boldly, Do you dare play with me? I win every time. The gray replied with a cheerful voice, Me too. I never lose a game. Franz took the skittle ball, and with a full swing, he hurled it between his legs. The skittles were blasted out, and cheerfully he shouted, All nine, match that if you can. But when he realigned the pins, he hid one under his jacket and seemingly unnoticed, he threw the pin out of the tower window. Not that way, my friend, the gray roared in a sinister voice. Then the hooded man straightened up. He grew and grew and spread his cloak. Shuddering, Franz saw the bare bones. I am the death, it echoed through the little room, and I always win. Even when there are only eight pins, I make all nine. I just have to hit eight plus one. The skeletal hand reached for the ball and threw it into the pins. So they fell with heavy clatter, and instead of the ninth pin, Franz fell to the ground. The next morning, the tower guard was found dead between the pins. Since then, the tower guard Franz appears as a ghost at the bowling alley every night. He whimpers and whines and still tries to find the ninth pin, because otherwise, he can't find salvation. I mean, that took a dark turn. That is, Mm. and I mean this sincerely, the most terrifying story about church bowling I have ever heard. That is serious spooky fuckery. So on one of the outside walls of the Stephansdom, you can see a figure of Christ in the so-called Man of Sorrows style. This depiction of Christ usually shows him with the crown of thorns on his head, displaying the wounds of his passion and his face and eyes full of pain and sorrow. But in Vienna, the figure of the Man of Sorrows is known as Christ with a toothache. (laughs) And here is why. I like it. Quote, Once upon a time, three jolly fellows lived in Vienna. They often sat together and drank until late in the night, and on their way home, they used to play tricks on the Viennese. One night, after the curfew of their favorite pub, they strolled frolicsomely through the streets of Vienna. On their way, they passed St. Stephen's Cathedral. In the lamplight, they saw that the crown of thorns on the Man of Sorrows was adorned with fresh flowers. So that the wind couldn't blow away the flowers, they were tied with a cloth. This ranged from over the cheeks until under the chin where it was knotted. It was Junker Diepold. He was the leader of the troop who laughed and said, Hey, this looks as if the Lord had a toothache. No wonder. He definitely stands at a drafty place. 
And for a while, they continued joking. Finally, they went to their homes. But that night, Junker Diepold couldn't find sleep. His cheeks began to burn, and a short time later, he got a very bad toothache. He rubbed his cheeks, he poked around in his teeth, he rinsed his mouth with hard liquor, but nothing helped. After the sleepless night, he consulted a doctor, but the man couldn't help him either. Your teeth are fine, the doctor said, but it's an odd thing. You are already the third patient today who's complaining of a toothache without any particular reason. With these words, Junker Diepold recognized that he was being punished by the man of sorrow for his sarcastic remarks, and he decided to apologize immediately. Ruefully and head bowed, he tied a cloth around his head and went to the man of sorrow. Actually, he was not surprised that he found his buddies there. He knelt down beside them and begged tearfully for forgiveness. The penitents were answered, and the tooth pain disappeared even in the same hour. The three fellows had their lesson. But since that incident, this man of sorrow is known as Christ with a toothache. End quote. I love that. Yeah, you can still see him outside. I'm going to post a photo, of course, of the Christ with a toothache. I think that's nice. I think that Christ has a sense of humor. So. I think so, too. I think he'd be I all right. So he didn't kill them. He just gave them a little bit of toothache. I agree. All right. So the last one is set in the time of the plague. Quote, the Requiem at St. Stephen's. The Christmas Eve of 1363 was a cold and stormy night. Reverend Graf Albrecht von Hellenberg sat in his warm and comfortable room. It was almost midnight, and the candles still gave the man enough light to read the chronicles of St. Stephen's Church. His mind was fully captured. He didn't even hear the noises of the storm. There was one striking sentence. He read it again and again. Quote, Those who are seen wearing a burial gown in the church on Christmas Eve will die within the next year, end quote. The man shook his head. He couldn't believe what he'd read. Incredible. This must have been written by someone with too much imagination. At that moment, he heard the sound of the church's organ and the singing of a chorus. He stood and went to the window. There was a light on in the church. Strange, he thought. A mass at such a time? But he wanted to know what was going on, so he put on his coat and walked through the alleys of graves. On his way, he prayed to God, Whatever I see there, I won't be afraid. I know you are with me. The brave man opened the door and walked into the church. He was very surprised to see the nave full of people, and he knew them. Everyone wore a burial gown. He looked toward the altar, wondering who was celebrating the Mass. The priest there turned around to bless the praying people. A cold shiver ran over his back when he saw himself. In that moment, the clock stroke one, and the old priest found himself in an empty and dark church. He hurried back to his warm room and wrote down what he had just experienced. Then he created a list with all the names of the people he had seen there, not forgetting to put down his own name at the end. A year went by. It was Christmas again but this time it wasn't a merry one. An epidemic plague had affected Vienna, and every single person on the priest's list, himself included, had passed away. End quote. That's sad. Spooky. Spooky and sad. And sad. Very much so, yeah. And that's it. So as I said, if you're interested in more Viennese legends, please visit viennalegends.blogspot.com. Uh, we'll put the link in our album. There you find more retellings in English. And if you want to know more about the Stefanstorm, you have to come over here and visit. And it's lovely. It's, it's worth a journey. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Annie, for reading all of the legends. 
with your lovely voice. <laughs> I'm going to start with My Something Good, okay? Please, please, please. My Something Good is Carnival Row. Oh. When my friend was over two weeks ago, she asked if we want to watch Carnival Row, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it looks kind of cool, but mm, yeah. So we watched the first episode, and I was like, meh, maybe. And then I got hooked, and it was really entertaining. The visuals are really great. The costumes are, are really nice. The music is nice. The setting is nice. And it's actually really entertaining. So that's my something good for this week. What's it called? Carnival Row? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It's with Orlando Bloom as an inspector. And uh, the the girl with the prominent eyebrows. Cara, Cara. Oh, Cara Div- Divin. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Delavine. Is yeah, that right? Delavine. Maybe. She plays a fee. Yeah. So a fairy. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. That sounds really good. My something good might not sound good, but I am fully weaned off my last antidepressant and getting ready to try a new one. One of the things that I guess people don't really talk about very often, I feel like people are always saying, you know, if you're struggling with something, get help. But they don't actually talk as much about the fact that finding the right antidepressant to work with your brain chemistry can be hard. It's not fast. You don't feel antidepressants aren't the kind of thing where it's like an aspirin where you just pop one and half an hour later yeah. you feel better. It, it takes a while to start working in your system and it takes a while for the side effects to dissipate. And then you have to figure out whether or not it's working for you. The last one wasn't a good fit for me, so now I am completely off that one, and I'm going to be starting a new one in about a week, and we'll see how that one goes. And I know it's kind of a, it feels like a negative thing to have as a something good, but I'm just optimistic that this next one is going to help a little bit more. And if it doesn't, then that's okay. We'll start all over with, with the next one, and that's that's how it goes, but I feel like at least I'm being more proactive about my own mental health, which is important. So that's something good. I gotta have my fingers and toes crossed that it helps. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and or our other episodes, please, would you be so kind to give us one minute of your time and leave us a rating and or review on iTunes. It really helps us out and uh, we're always happy to read them. Absolutely. If you would like more information on our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com where you'll find out what our different tiers are and what sort of benefits you'll get with each of them. If you want more information on anything about us, really, please visit our webpage, which is freshhellpodcast.com. You'll find information there on where to listen to us, how to get in touch with us, merch, our PO box address, our email address, all of that. Please come say hi in our Facebook group. It's just the nicest community of people. Just search in Facebook for Fresh Hell Murder and you should find us. We just had our first Saturday's, uh, how is it called? Hellions Bizarre Bazaar? The Bizarre Bazaar. <laughs> the Bizarre Bazaar. It's where our Hellions can post links to their Etsy store or whatever whatever creative thing they are making, selling, doing, want to promote. Our Hellions are so unbelievably talented. It's crazy. It's like, so talented. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking how many people do so many cool things there. Yeah. So go check it out, please. It's, it's pretty amazing. I have, I have a lot of new places bookmarked for future purchases. Yeah. Me too. We hope you enjoyed that Best Fiends ad, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> please. 
Say hi to your pets. Tell them we love them. Tell them we miss them. Hug them, cuddle them. Always treat them kindly and with respect. As well as your fellow human being, please. Yeah, please, please give everybody the benefit of the doubt at least once. And if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.